What's up, everyone? How are you doing? Thanks for joining in for another episode. Today, we're going to talk about a man named Dave Asprey who actually invented the term biohacker. So, yes, he is the inventor and bulletproof coffee. Many of you may have heard of that, may use it every day. Um, he's wrote numerous New York Times bestsellers, including Bulletproof Diet and Headstrong. Um, superhuman. Um, so this guy has done a lot and he has a regular podcast you can look up as well. Um, just look up Dave Asprey. Dave is spelled, anybody can figure that out, Asprey, A-S-P-R-E-Y. So this guy is having a huge influence on our culture at the moment and he has recently come out with another book called Fast This Way. Since he knows so much about the biohacking atmosphere and what's going on in the world of um, biology, neurology, psychology, um, dietary uh, needs and just everything a human being could possibly want and need to be better to absolutely just improve who they are. I would think we should take a peek into his book, Fastest Way. And I have a synopsis of his book, which we can listen to to get the idea of Fastest Way. But if you want to read his book, go buy Fastest Way. If you want the audio book, download it fast this way. It's it's a I'm sure it's great. I have not listened to the whole thing. I'll I've went over the synopsis and I listen to him on a regular basis. So in general, I know all his ideas and practices. So I don't think I necessarily feel the need to own the book. So and you might feel the same way after going through the synopsis. Maybe you're not gonna feel that way, but this will give you the outline. So listen up and let's get fucking going on the beginning of Fast This Way. All of us, at one point or another, have found ourselves hungry and craving French fries. But did you know that hunger and cravings are different things? Hunger is a biological message, while cravings are a psychological need. And the junk food industry peddling highly processed food has put a lot of effort into convincing you they've got just the thing to satisfy your craving. So if you have a problem controlling unhealthy cravings, fasting might be a solution. But fasting is neither a diet nor a lifestyle. Rather, fasting is a mindset. It means going without. It's learning how to gain strength by saying no. The key message here is, fasting is about knowing what you need and taking control of it. By going without, you actually break the cycle of consumption and, in that space, give yourself time to reflect. Do I really need that burger? That fifth cup of coffee? That tenth scroll through Instagram? Yes, even Instagram. 
It may seem unrelated, but in taking a break from the instant gratification of social media or whatever else you use to feel a momentary escape, you'd be practicing what Cameron Seppa, a psychologist at the University of California, San Francisco, calls dopamine fasting. Imagine how much stronger and calmer you'd feel if you could resist the pull of phone alerts and endless scrolls to focus on a task that requires all your concentration. You wouldn't be giving up social media entirely, of course, because fasting isn't about quitting something forever. Rather, it's about self-control. A great example of this is oxygen fasting. Sounds crazy, right? But athletes do it all the time. They train in low oxygen environments to build up lung capacity. Many forms of yoga, too, extol the benefits of breath control. It's important to note that although fasting can be uncomfortable, it's not about suffering. With the right mindset, fasting can be a joyous experience because you achieve a sense of power and control. Then, as you continue to practice fasting, it just becomes, well, normal. Hunger and cravings are different. It's not a diet, but a lifestyle. So you do it with pizza or candy. Yes, but maybe it's not pizza or candy. Maybe it's sex for you. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's working too damn much. Um, Maybe it's drugs. You don't have self-control is what it is. Instead, these behaviors rule you. The food, the sex, the gambling, the work, and the drugs, whatever it is, you do not, you're not in the driver's seat. Your subconscious mind tells you to do something. You get a little rush from it. You feel good. So you go back and you do it again and do it again. And you can't stop the wheel. You're on the hamster wheel. Conquer your mind, your impulses. Meditation is very similar to this, actually. Conquering that monkey mind. Your mind will always say, do stupid shit, so tame it. Lots of these things your subconscious prods you to do is comparable to drug addiction, which I just mentioned. It releases a certain amount of dopamine, which will reinforce your behavior, telling you do it again. So don't give in. This is all about changing behavioral patterns. With your diet, of course, we're talking about fasting here. But you can look at this in similar you know, departments of your life and go... Am I going overboard with any of these other things I mentioned? Just think about it, but good message there. On to the next message. At this point, fasting might sound a bit scary. The thought of giving up food and social media does sound anxiety-inducing. But that's the interesting thing about fasting. By going without the things that give a momentary sense of comfort or familiarity you actually end up feeling stronger and more in control. That's because you're not, in reality, giving something up. Rather, you're putting it on hold while you create new habits. So even though you might experience discomfort at first, remind yourself that it won't last forever. After more than 10 years of regular fasting, the author recommends intermittent fasting as the best way to start. A popular plan for beginners is the 16-8 fast, during which you restrict your eating window to just 8 hours of the day, say 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., for instance. Here's the key message. Use intermittent fasting to help ease into going without. 
not only is intermittent fasting pretty easy to do because you can so readily adapt it to your lifestyle, but it also comes with a host of health benefits. It helps regulate insulin levels. In taking a break from overprocessed foods, your body begins to feed off of stored glucose and stops producing excess insulin. Fasting also helps clear out toxins and pathogens by triggering autophagy, a process that, as recent studies have shown, also slows aging and lowers inflammation. And inflammation is key. You know how your body gets inflamed from, say, a mosquito bite? Well, inflammation can also be triggered by food. Unfortunately, low-quality processed foods tend to be packed with harmful agents, leaving our bodies in a perpetual state of chronic inflammation. When our bodies have to fight this on a molecular level, we experience it as a loss of energy. And in the long run, chronic inflammation can lead to heart disease, diabetes, asthma, and more. While all these health benefits probably sound appealing, perhaps you're still nervous about being a bit hangry in the morning. To cope, the author recommends starting the day with a bulletproof coffee black coffee, grass-fed butter, and a teaspoon of C8 MCT oil. The fats in this concoction will keep you going throughout the morning, all while maintaining your autophagic fasting state. So, intermittent fasting. That sounds great, right? Because there's a lot of different ways you can do intermittent fasting. They recommend, to for beginners... Dave Asprey is recommending 16 hours that you fast, 8 hours that you eat. That would probably be, you know, your day that you go through. Basically, you look, you look at it as like this. Say you sleep 6 to 8 hours. Well, you don't eat for those hours. So say it's 8 hours you slept. Another 8 hours, you will go without eating. Then the next eight hours, you will eat. And you want to eat clean, healthy foods. This isn't, I'm fasting so I can have piles of shit. I've actually seen people that do fast and their fasting window is two to four hours maybe a day. Just for like two hours they'll eat or four hours they eat. And they eat whatever they want, complete trash. How's that good for your body? Yeah, you're probably going to stay low in body fat because you don't give yourself enough time to put enough calories in your body to really put on excess body fat. But you're definitely not putting good nutrition in that's going to help you keep your body clean and running at a high level. Like, I mean, you're not going to put 87 octane in a freaking car that needs the highest level octane that you can put in it. If it's a sports car, a Ferrari or something like that, you know, it's, you're going to put the highest level gas you can in it. So if you want the best out of your body, not only do you want to look better, you want to feel better. You want to have better energy. You want to physically be capable of doing better things. You want less brain fog. You want a quicker, snappier mind. So don't eat shit just because you're fasting. And you can change that fasting window however you like with intermittent fasting. Maybe the eight hours that you want to eat are in the morning. Maybe you want to wake up, eat eight hours throughout, you know, it's you're going to be at work more than likely. Most people will be. But if that works out for you to get up in the morning and 
maybe wake up a little early, have a big breakfast, and then that eight-hour window makes it into your lunchtime, and you can eat a big lunch, and then for the rest of the day, you will not eat and go into your nighttime sleep, go to sleep, you know, you're fasting during your sleeping hours and wake up and do it again. You can set it up however you would like. Most people set up their eating window towards the evening. And this, the benefits, regulating your insulin, this is going to be excellent to prevent diabetes or somebody that does suffer from diabetes. You may be able to get off certain medications or insulin. It's worth a try. And it clears toxins out of your lymphatic system. Get junk out, out of your cells. Autophagy is your cells actually having a chance to clean their self, to regenerate because they're not busy digesting food and doing other bullshit that you would be having your body, asking your body to do because you're always sticking food in your face. Now, me personally, I don't fast all the time. I intermittent fast probably a couple days a week. Sometimes I will go for a really long fast. I have done a two-week fast before with no food, just liquids. Yes, and I probably will never do it again. But I'm just saying, I vary it. I don't stick with doing the same thing all the time. Sometimes I'll eat four to five times a day. Especially on hard training days where I've worked out really hard at the gym. I want to have high protein, high carbs. I want to have everything I need for healing because of the trauma that I've induced in my body. But back to the benefits. Uh, Besides what I mentioned, inflammation. Of course, inflammation is going to drop. If your body is not tied up with digestion, it can heal. It will heal inflammation. It will bring down inflammation. What if you have arthritis? You got a bad back. You got autoimmune diseases. They might even get better. They might go away. It'll raise your energy. So anyways, that's a great little section there that they were talking about. Like that information. Dig it. Let's hear what's coming up next. Because... I'm sure it's going to be good. While insulin regulation, inflammation reduction, and autophagy all sound great on paper, they're also molecular-level concepts. They aren't quite as tangible as promises of a slimmer waistline. One of the easiest ways to gain self-esteem and a big reason people turn to fasting in the first place. But again, fasting isn't dieting. Many weight loss diets rely on calorie reduction, as if every calorie from food is the same. But 100 calories of salad is clearly healthier than the same serving of potato chips. And dieting frequently doesn't address the underlying issue, the fact that your body can't effectively convert food into energy. Calorie-restricting diets can cause cravings. Intermittent fasting teaches you when and how to eat. Different types of fasts affect you in different ways, as does the food you eat when you come out of the fast. That's why the author suggests mixing up fasting lengths. The key message here is to help your body thrive, develop an inconsistent fasting routine. 
To understand why mixing up your routine is important, let's look at what happens during the different fasting stages. After your last meal, it takes anywhere from 4 to 16 hours before your body starts running on stored energy. At this point, your body starts breaking down glycogen to produce glucose. This frees up adrenaline and cortisol and gives you a boost of energy. If you do OMAD, or one meal a day, you'll be fasting even longer. During OMAD, your body goes into fat-burning mode, activating a complex process that converts stored fat into ketones that can be used for energy. This won't just help you shed that unwanted weight. As one recent study found, ketosis also leads to lower levels of triglycerides and higher levels of HDL cholesterol. That's the good one. While those are great effects, they're not sustainable. If you do OMAD every day, sex hormones drop for both sexes, sleep quality is disturbed, and hair begins to thin. That's why the author recommends mixing it up. A high-protein, high-fat breakfast to start your week, a mix of OMAD and intermittent fasting on the following days, and cheat days on the weekend. Sticking to this kind of routine not only gets rid of those aching cravings, but also keeps your mind and body sharp by forcing it to adapt to an inconsistent world. So, intermittent fasting. That is one way of doing it. But, mixing up your fasting links is very important, as was just mentioned. There's also OMAD, one meal a day. Maybe you put that one meal a day in the morning or the evening or it's in the afternoon, whatever. Mix it up. I did mention that just a while ago um, before you heard the prolific speaker talk about it. So that is the way that I live my life because it can smash your hormone levels. It can drop them and other important things like your cholesterol. Fasting can actually improve all of these things in your life. But if you stay in a deprived state of doing these fasting, like real tight windows or one meal a day, and you never break, and you're always eating super clean, super healthy, never challenging your body, like going to the gym and lifting weights is a hermetic stressor. It is a way of challenging and stressing the body. So it builds strength in your bones, your tendons, your ligaments, your muscles. So the same thing is with your diet. Every once in a while, you want to change and not just do the intermittent fasting the same way. Change the links, change OMAD, maybe one meal a day here and there. But the one thing I have got to say is, yes, all these things can plummet if you stay strict to the point to where you never challenge your metabolism or your body and it can't get anything in excess. So then all all your markers that are supposed to be good in your body from doing these fasting protocols goes the wrong direction and, ah, fuck, you screwed it all up. Okay, well, that's great. One thing they said is cheat days on the weekends. What the fuck? That's, you can't just throw that out there. That's, there needs to be a little bit more description there. If you go to the book instead of the synopsis, I'm sure Dave Asprey explained this more thoroughly. But cheating is good. Now, if you're eating a whole food diet, you're eating meats and um, some vegetables and 
you're eating maybe some carbs that are a good, clean, non-processed, not sugary carbs. Well, every once in a while, if you want a slice of apple pie, it's not going to fucking affect you. It's going to turn out to be good for you. It's going to boost your metabolism and uh, it's going to spike your insulin, which is going to give your uh, glycogen and glucose stores in your body a refill that they needed because they've been a little bit low. Uh, this could be after you do a hard workout day or something. Maybe you have a hamburger or you have a Coke. It's good to cheat, but for a whole weekend, no, don't cheat. Don't cheat days on the weekend. Saturday, Sunday, just go all out. I disagree with that. So I challenge that right here and now. On the weekends, maybe you don't do fasting. Maybe you say, I'm not going to intermittent fast. I'm going to get up and have breakfast with the family. Or I'm just going to allow myself to kind of eat healthy meals throughout the day. I'm going to eat three times today, or I'm going to go out to dinner with my friends this weekend, and I don't give a shit what I eat at that dinner, but not all weekend. Change it up. That is the spice of life, and obviously it is what makes the fasting work the best, is not being too rigid because you can end up hurting yourself in the long run if you're too rigid with a fasting um, protocol lifestyle. So... Change it up, but I disagree with cheat days on the weekends. Cheat, but don't cheat all weekend. Don't just blow it all off Saturday and Sunday and go freaking nuts to get back on it Monday through Friday and do whatever your protocol is from that standpoint. That's all I have to say. You got my methods or what I recommend. You can pick and choose who you want to listen to and try out whatever you want to because everybody's different. That's the one thing that really matters is we're all different and different things work better for different people. So you may absolutely just be one of those people that could cheat all weekend and get back on a fasting, intermittent fasting protocol, OMAD protocol, during the weekdays and you can keep that up for months and years and it works perfect for you and that's the way you live your life. I just don't recommend it. I think it's teaching you some bad habits to just go all out and eat crazy stuff all weekend long. Two days. So there we go. Done. That was my rant. On to the next portion. Isn't it funny that most people would rather skip a few hours of sleep than miss a meal? While fasting for a few days won't kill you, going without sleep could. But while everyone has felt the regenerative benefits of a good night's sleep, did you know that getting six and a half to eight hours of sleep per night literally protects and heals you? It reduces the risk of cancer and heart attacks, aids in cellular repair, and reduces inflammation in the brain as the glymphatic system flushes out cellular waste. Best of all, that sleep time counts as fasting. And if you keep it going after you wake up, human growth hormone, HGH, levels rise, which is great for burning fat and building lean muscle mass. The key message here is healthy sleep supports your fasting, and healthy fasting supports your sleep. That's because your sleep cycle and your fasting schedule work in harmony with each other. For instance, if you eat too late, you'll still be digesting when you go to bed, which interferes with your circadian rhythm. And sleeping with elevated glucose and insulin levels will likely cause you to wake up periodically during the night, 
and then be groggy the next day. A recent University of California San Diego study has shown that a three-hour window between eating and going to bed significantly reduces the levels of blood sugar. If your sleep and fasting are in sync, that means closing your eating window at 8 p.m. and going to bed after 11 p.m., for example. A pretty manageable schedule. On top of not eating too late, you can help keep your circadian rhythm on track by reducing your exposure to artificial light in the hours before bed. So dim the lights around the house and, yes, turn off your TV, laptop, and cell phone. All of these things trigger the release of hormones that keep you awake. Last, try to remember that establishing a new routine is challenging, so go easy on yourself. In the early stages of fasting, you might experience sleep disruptions or make dinner plans that get in the way of your evening rhythm. After all, you still have a life. If anything, that late-night dinner might prove to you exactly why you shouldn't eat before bedtime. Sleep heals and counts as fasting. Yes, it does. That's right. While you are sleeping, you are burning calories laying in your bed. Metabolic processes like your heart beating, your brain is still thinking and dreaming while you're laying there. Um, there's lots of automatic processes. You're breathing, stuff that's it's going on, man. Your body's maintaining a temperature that 98 point whatever it is, 98.7, I think it is, 98.6 degree temperature um, that it maintains. Yes, your body's burning calories while you're sleeping. So it's fasting. You're not, you can't eat while you're asleep. And if you're sleepwalking and eating, then that's freaking amazing. And we need that on video because that'll go viral and you'll make a lot of money off that. But also, listen up. As you wake, they're saying that your growth hormone raises. So that's because you're not eating though. You're still fasted. And with that raised growth hormone... From your sleep going into your wake cycle, it's not abolished. The growth hormone continues on and allows you to burn more fat. And it can help you gain or maintain muscle mass. That's freaking cool. Now, here's one thing I ran into a problem with on that last speech. No carbs, basically, before bed because they said no elevated glucose. You don't want that because it causes frequent wake-ups throughout the night. Well, I disagree with it. And not only do I disagree with it, an expert in the field, Ben Greenfield, has his carbs at night for dinner or just before going to bed. The, elevate, the slight elevation in insulin, because we're not, neither me or him are grabbing a bag of fucking M&Ms or eating some sack full of sugar-laden bullshit. We're eating something like an apple or potatoes, whatever it is with dinner, some kind of carb, maybe because this is the simple fact. I don't always intermittent fast. Sometimes I eat just protein a couple times a day, just protein and vegetables. And then I have a carb meal before bed. That's the only time I'll have carbs. Sometimes I'll have that carb meal earlier in the day, like after a hard workout, like after a leg day. Just totally trash myself. I need some carbs meal right after that workout. So I'll do the carbs then. Okay. I want to refill my glycogen, my glucose. I need it. 
I'm tired and I know I just went through all of my glucose um, that was stored during that workout. So I want to refill. But one of the things I do on a regular basis is regulate my carbs. I push them back until the evening time and save my carb eating until it's dinner time or maybe I'll have a little something before bed. A little something. I'm not saying I eat a huge meal and then I'm ready to go to sleep because that would be quite a burden. They're saying three hours before bed, stop eating. Well, I I usually eat my dinner three hours, two hours, three hours before bed, something like that. And then I might have an apple before I go to sleep. And you know what? It helps me sleep. Then I sleep very soundly along with maybe uh, some of my other um, supplements that I take to help with sleep. I make sure that I get to sleep like a baby. But one thing I've noticed is carbohydrates knock me out. So that is good. I sleep good because of it. So that's where we are all different. And you can't just lay down absolutes unless it's scientific fact. And there's no way to refute it. So the information there was just good. It was great stuff. But I just wanted to show you real quick that I'm different. And I do know another expert in the field of biohacking and health, Ben Greenfield, does the same thing, has his carbs at dinner time or right before bed. Maybe a little of the amino acid glycine because it helps calm you down and put you to sleep. Taurine, another amino acid that calms you down. Great for going to sleep. Anyways, done with that rant and on to the next portion. Fuck. As we've seen, fasting not only helps you confront your fears of not having all the things you swore you couldn't live without, It actually helps you thrive. And the more your mind and body obey you, the stronger you become. Next, it's time to hit the gym. Maybe that sounds impossible on an empty stomach, especially if you rely on sugary sports drinks to get through a gym session or practice carb loading the night before a workout. But it's actually harder to lose weight when your body is still relying on glucose for energy. Luckily, through intermittent fasting, you've practiced harnessing your power on a metabolic level. And by switching up your fasting routine, you've trained your body to be metabolically flexible by going between burning sugar and burning fat. The key message is, metabolic flexibility helps you power through gym sessions on fasting days. Believe it or not, unpredictability is actually good for your cells. The body likes to run on sugar, but when sugar isn't available it'll switch to a ketone fat-burning mode. And the more you toggle between the two states, the more your cell structures get used to metabolizing energy from either one. Running off fat reserves is actually a great thing. Not only do you slim up, but fat molecules have more energy than carbohydrates. Good fats are also anti-inflammatory, which helps take the edge off exercise-related aches and pains. And they're hydrating. After you exercise and it's time to break your fast, feel free to eat a healthy amount of carbs. In fact, it fits the pattern of rapid change between the two metabolic states, which makes your body stronger. Another trick that helps your metabolic flexibility is hot-cold therapy. Try standing under a stream of cold water at the end of your shower. You'll hate it for a few days, 
But soon enough, the modest stress provided by the cold water will increase cardiolipin, and your body will generate more heat. Research has shown that cold therapy improves your mood, boosts the immune system, relieves pain, and aids with weight loss. Lastly, don't get obsessed with looking like the bodies you see on TV. Before shooting a shirts-off scene, those actors had to fast for days and take diuretics. Trying to look like that all the time would likely kill you. Instead, treat your body well with good food, exercise, and sleep, all of which help you maintain a healthy and realistic image of what it should look like. Okay, fasting and working out. Well, you can burn carbs or you can burn fat for energy when you're working out. Yes, that's true, but you have to be in ketosis to burn fat, which means you cannot be taking in any carbs, which if you're fasting pretty quick, you'll be able to get into ketosis because you're not taking in any food. But when you do decide to eat, if you're just eating protein and vegetables, then pretty quickly you will go into ketosis and your body will start learning how to burn fat for energy. And fat is a much more dense, highly explosive form of energy once your body learns how to use it. Metabolic flexibility is what they were talking about. Now, being metabolically flexible is wonderful if you can trade off between using carbs as energy and also burn fat for energy. Some people struggle with switching off over to burning fat for energy and they get bitchy, have headaches, have all sorts of problems cutting carbs completely out. Um, I was one of those people when I first tried it, I had to acclimate to it. So I would recommend slowly moving over to that kind of a diet to where you cut carbs because yes you'll be able to burn body fat very quickly but can you sustain it because as soon as you get back eating carbs again then more than likely you're gonna blow up because lots of the weight that you lose is from glycogen and glucose which bond with water at a high rate being saved within your liver your muscles your blood you lose all that all that water that's bonded to the carbohydrate storage is gone so you lose a bunch of water weight you think it's fat. Well, you will start burning fat quickly, but you lost a lot of weight from cutting all your carbs out and dumping the load of carbs that are stored in your body. So just keep that in mind because it wasn't mentioned. But we talked about that, the fat and ketone bodies, and yes, they produce a lot of energy. Uh, okay, so this is one thing that kind of upset me here. A little bit. Have to mention it. Got to bring it up. Sorry. Most of the best bodies that you see in magazines or in movies are not fasting. Unless it's the girls that are bird thin. They're just freaking bones and tits. And that's not exactly attractive. And I don't think most people are wanting to look like that. The best bodies that we see in magazines and in movies are the ones that are working their ass off. They are working out seven days a week with a trainer, more than likely, six, seven days a week. Yes, with weights and doing cardio. And they're eating five to six times a day, high-protein diets with a side of veggies with each meal, and maybe low carbs a couple times a day. I have done it many times. It's not fasting that produces that body. You do not produce that physique that you dream of by fasting. 
Fasting is for the health benefits, and yes, you can lose some body fat if you're overweight and you have some extra weight to lose, yes, but do not think you are going to look like The Rock from fasting. The motherfucker doesn't fast. He eats a fuckload of food, and he trains his ass off, and he probably takes steroids too. Sorry if you don't, Dwayne. I'm just assuming. But the reason he looks like that is because he works his ass off and he takes in lots of protein, amino acids that can help the muscles that he has traumatized turn into bigger muscles. And year after year, as he does this consistently, the muscles get bigger and bigger and he looks like a superhero. He looks like something unrealistic, like you can't achieve that. There's no way. What kind of genetics does he have? It's called discipline. It's hard work, but it's not from fasting. Trust me. So they misspoke in that last segment, and I wanted to point it out. Definitely not fasting, creating those kind of bodies. And females that are buff do the exact same thing guys do. I'm not talking about females that look like The Rock. I'm talking about females that look freaking awesome, that are beautiful, that... uh, have just great shapes to their physique. I'm trying to think of somebody maybe that's real athletic to give you as an example, but I can't think of somebody right off the top of my head because I don't watch movies and look in magazines for the buffest, uh, you know, nicest looking physique on the chicks all the time. That's not a dude. I, off the top of my head, of course, I can think of The Rock because that's like the one and only dude in Hollywood that's big and buff. There's lots of guys now that are buff, though, and almost any of these people that play roles, like, do you remember 300, the movie? All the guys were shredded and muscular for that movie. They trained every single day. They had a diet to eat. Lots and lots of protein. Low carbs, vegetables. They busted their asses. And their trainer could tell if they came in the next day and they cheated on their meal and he made them do extra work. So they abided by a very strict diet. That's how you end up looking like that. And lots of people thought the movie was Photoshop. No, it was not Photoshop. Those guys trained and eight to look like that. No fasting. So anyways, don't expect to be looking like um, King Leonidas and kicking motherfuckers off into a well and screaming this is Sparta because that shit's not going to happen if you're fasting. Okay? There's lots of other benefits to fasting that you don't get from looking like King Leonidas. So on to the next part. I just had to clear that up. Blink six of seven. While fasting has many benefits, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You'll probably need to experiment a little as you hone your process. This is especially true for women. Since an astounding amount of fasting plans and medical studies still use men as their baseline, what works best for women's bodies is, unfortunately, not often talked about. Obviously, men and women are different. And nothing underscores this difference more than women's reproductive ability. This is precisely what makes them more sensitive to fasting. That's because when a woman's amygdala thinks her reproductive capabilities are threatened, it causes a stress response that restricts hormones to maintain her body's resources. In fact, as the author reports, 
Women who did too much intermittent fasting experienced sleep problems, hair loss, irregular periods, and sometimes even temporary infertility. This is the key message. Women need to develop a fasting plan tailored to their needs. The main strategy is to take it easy. Don't do too much at once. Limit intermittent fasting to every other day, or ease into it by starting with only 14 hours instead of 16. The author suggests saving strenuous, high-intensity workouts for non-fasting days. And bulletproof coffee can help relieve some of the bodily stress caused by fasting. These aren't hard and fast rules, but rather suggestions to prevent your body from triggering famine stress. If you do still find yourself feeling stressed or craving fatty, salty foods, adding some Himalayan salt and grass-fed butter to your diet could help ease the cravings. The author also advises women to pay special attention to iron, as low levels can cause fatigue and disrupt menstrual cycles. Finally, the author strongly advises consulting your doctor before doing any fasting. This is particularly true if you're breastfeeding, planning to get pregnant, or are experiencing fertility issues. Also be sure to check with a doctor if you have irregular periods, are underweight, or have a history with eating disorders. And, of course, never fast if you're pregnant. While the benefits of fasting can be just as plentiful for women as for men, women do need to be a little more careful. So just ease into it slowly and be mindful of your diet, supplements, and stress levels. In short, pay attention to what your body is telling you. Fasting. Hey, yeah. If you do it all the time, it can seriously affect you in a hormonal level in lots of different ways. But as they mentioned, with a woman, it's especially important you don't go too crazy with this because it can screw up your cycle your ability to have children. So, be careful. Yes, don't go too hardcore too fast. I totally agree with the recommendations they laid out. Start out with 16 hours and 8-hour eating window. Or, I'm sorry, start out with the 14-hour. Then move up to the 16-hour. Then maybe you want to get crazier and you want to do a 20-hour. I don't know. You just decide. Maybe you want to do the OMAD. But you can take days off too. You can have normal days where you eat three meals a day. Or like me, maybe you eat more. But variation is the key. And learning that you are an individual and everybody is different. So do what you feel is best. If your body is crying out for something, maybe you don't deprive it. You don't say that, well... I feel like I'm starving to death, but look at this schedule. I've got two more days of OMAD to go. Don't do that shit. Listen to your body. If it needs something, try and give it what it needs. I'm sure it doesn't need pizza or a hamburger or Dr. Pepper or uh, M&M's. But eat if you need to. So the recommendations they laid out right there were excellent and they definitely covered their ass with the doctor statement. Well done, bravo. Blink seven of seven. Soon after you start fasting, you'll start to notice some differences. 
Perhaps you'll become more aware of your unconscious thinking around food, like the cravings triggered by stress. And with this awareness, maybe you'll realize that hunger is just a feeling and not always a rational one. But think beyond the physical. For instance, maybe your senses will become hyper-aware. Food might smell more delicious. The colors of your salad might, at times, seem more vivid. Fasting alters how you see the world around you, which is why it's a pillar of most religious and spiritual practices, from Christianity to Judaism, Islam to Buddhism. And for many adherents, going without is not only an expression of self-discipline and sacrifice, but also a path for greater communion with the world around them. This is the key message. Fasting allows you to discover yourself beyond flesh and blood. So consider it meditating on a physical level and enjoy it. In fact, embracing that joy is key to the spirituality of fasting. Because while fasting is about self-discipline, it isn't about pain. And actually, pleasure is quite an important factor in the process. This is the perfect time to mention that orgasms during an extended fast are likely to be more intense for both sexes. However, if you're a man, keep in mind that testosterone drops the day after ejaculation. Echoing this, Taoists teach that men shouldn't deplete themselves by ejaculating. At the same time, they urge women to climax freely and fully. As a final piece of advice, be sure to avoid self-judgment. Maybe you planned too epic a fast, or maybe some unforeseen stressor came up during the day, and suddenly you've got a cookie in your mouth. Don't beat yourself up. Instead, consider that your fast has exposed a spiritual toxin, like perfectionism or being too rigid. So just enjoy the cookie as you continue along the path. What a great statement. Hunger is not always rational. That is absolutely true. You must not live by the voice in your head that tells you to do things, not the one that tells you to pick up the donut, not the one that tells you to go gambling, not the one that tells you to tie off that vein so you can shoot heroin in it. Don't always listen to the monkey mind the subconscious. Don't let it get you caught up doing stupid, simple, quick easy, pleasurable things that come and go in a couple minutes or less. Got to worry about the long term. And then, you know, they go over stuff like that and we get into orgasms. He had to throw in that orgasms are increasingly pleasurable during fasting periods. That is something I have never paid attention to or do I know anything about, so I can't say whether it's true or not. Um, so you want to try that? Go ahead. Give it a go. Um, I don't have anything else to say about that. That's just, that was fucking weird. Uh, just remember everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has an accident every once in a while. We're all only human. So you might pick up a donut. You might end up grabbing a piece of pizza or end up eating a sandwich or a bag of chips or something that you didn't want to and halfway through eating it you realize you fucked up it's not the end of the world as long as you realize you made a mistake it was only an accident you are upset with yourself but don't get too down just turn around and start doing the right thing get back on track 
And that goes with anything in life. That's the way you do it. Pick yourself back up and keep going. So thank you all for listening to this episode of Keeping It Real About Fasting. Glad you joined in. Um, I want to send a special thanks out to somebody that sent me an email, a listener, and they signed from the cosmos. So this is only an introductory episode to fasting. There's many other ways to fast out there in this world. There's a plethora of freaking diets and they're most of them just fads. But this is the groundwork. This is what you need to know about fasting that makes sense. That is the correct way to do it. That tells you the benefits behind it. So there you go. To the cosmos. Just for you and everybody else out there listening. You'll get some value out of this too. If you didn't know anything about fasting. Now you do. So incorporate it a little bit into your lifestyle or go crazy and try and do a week try and do a month try and make it uh, a, you know like I don't know man it's some people they do they do three weeks on one week off three weeks on one week off yeah, whatever you can set up your standard however you want everybody is an individual just like everybody has a unique fingerprint You're a unique little snowflake out in this world, you son of a bitch. So make the best of it. Nobody is you. Only you are you. And it's a wonderful you to be. So thanks for listening. Leave a review. Leave a rating. Um, If you can, suggest this show to a family or family member or a friend or anybody else. A stranger that might be interested. That'd be great. Bring us somebody new to tune in and if you want to support the show look for the link to click on that will take you to the support page and you can support this podcast for as low as a dollar a month at the most a ten dollar a month donation whatever you choose i will be grateful if you decide to support the podcast i would be so happy thank you if you do ahead of time it keeps the boat floating so i can keep putting this stuff out it's what i'm doing on the side to try to provide value to mankind to help other fellow human beings out in this tough motherfucking world because it's hard out there and it seems to get tougher every year but you know what you just find ways to live better and you gotta help each other out to make it this is not a solo war so Take care, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Keeping it real. Do not consider these episodes as medical advice or expertise in any area. I do deconstruct some experts and their material and deliver it to you, but please do all of this at your own risk. And I got to say thanks to Dave Asprey for writing the book, Fastest Way. Wonderful book. Wonderful man. 
He provides such great info and is doing such a great service to all of us out there with his free information that he puts out. So go get his book, man. Buy his book, buy the audio book, and also thank you Blinkus for providing the synopsis of this book so we could listen to it and dissect it for the audience.